The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What is up, everyone? We are at episode eight of season two of the Drum Candy Podcast, and this is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factor Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week's intro beat by was by another Drum Club project participant. I believe he's done every one so far. That's Patrick Galligan. Super cool version of one of the loops that we provide. I believe he lay, added some layers and chopped it up so it was even hard to recognize the original loop, which is super cool. If you want to be part of the Drum Club project, just make sure you follow the Drum Factor Direct and the Big Fat Snare Drum Instagram page. That's where we make the announcements. That's where we drop the links to grab whatever track we're going to be messing with that month. And then we send a Zoom link for you to go join if you want to join us for the hang that we do. Hopefully once a month, uh, Ben is on tour, so we'll make an announcement about the next one here soon. If you want to get your beat into the show, it doesn't have to be part of the Drum Club project, but that's a good way to get into the show. But if you want to just send in something of you just drumming or playing to one of your songs, make sure it's not something that's copyright protected, you can shoot that over to drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. And if you also want to include a talking head of yourself explaining what you did for that beat or that groove, what gear you're using, where you're at, what you're up to that'd be super cool as well so again that's drum candy podcast at gmail.com all right what is new this week i hope you all dug the special episode last week um, we're going to do these 10 reasons to love every month or so a month or two six weeks something like that with dave and tom just depending on how we can coordinate our schedules those are some busy busy guys here in pittsburgh but yeah last last week we did tony williams we've got one coming up with my one of my favorite uh, more modern drummers and then we've got a whole list of other ones we're going to get to but if you have any suggestions we've had a few come in um, shoot them over if you have a drummer that you'd like us to check out we've been in kind of the jazz world just because that's where tom and dave and i kind of all intersect but we'll probably branch out and do some other stuff but it just shoot over your ideas again to drumcandypodcast at gmail.com or shoot me a dm mike dawson drums or the Jump Factor Direct page, you can DM me there as well. All right, so what is new? Oh, I was on the uh, the Drum History Podcast this week, so if you didn't check out that, Drum History Podcast is on the same network as this show. So it was, it was fun to, to meet with Bart um, on his show and get into his world. We were talking about, primarily the conversation started with DW being purchased by Roland, and then we kind of just went into historically what happens when larger companies buy smaller companies and what to expect and hopefully what may not happen. But it was a super fun hang. Special thanks to Bart for the invite. There were a lot of great new releases that I noticed this week. Um, so I'm just going to kind of rattle off as many of them as I can here because this is all just really, really good music that's been popping up. There is a trio record with the great Eric Harlan on drums. That is Aaron Parks, Matt Brewer, and Eric Harland. It's called Volume 1. That's just some really, really interesting creative piano trio music. Jazz-ish, but it goes goes all over the place. So that's a really, really great listen. Again, that's called Volume 1, Eric Parks, Matt Brewer, with Eric Harland on, drum, on drums. Um, what else did I notice? Oh, if you remember the band Blur, the drummer, Dave Roundtree, just announced he's got a debut record coming out, and it's called Radio Songs. And the first single 
is called Devil's Island. So that's Dave Roundtree of the great alternative band Blur. He's got a record coming out called Radio Songs. Check that one out. Moving right along, I got a press release that Queens of the Stone Age is reissuing three of their albums on vinyl. They're starting with their debut self-titled record, the classic record, and then two of their more recent ones, which are the, where is this, 2013's um, like Clockwork and then 2017's Villains. They're going to be reissued on vinyl. So you got three Queens of Stone Age records, their debut, and then the two more recent ones. Uh, one of my personal favorite modern rock bands so if you're into vinyl and you're into that band be on the lookout it looks like the the debut record comes out um october 21st on vinyl and then on december 9th the other two will come out another reissue of sorts the 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 fantastic blues guitarist singer band leader kenny wayne shepherd is re-recording his entire album um, trouble is so they're just remaking it with a documentary, and it's featuring one of my favorite blues drummers, Chris Layton. If you remember, Chris played with uh, Steve Ray Vaughan in Double Trouble. He's been working with Kenny Wayne Shepherd's band for for many many years. Some of the most, some of my favorite shuffle playing comes out of Chris Layton. It's a textbook shuffle. Um, I saw him in clinic a few years back, and him explaining how to sort of make the shuffle a little bit sloppy and get that proper feel. It was it was just magical. So be on the lookout for that. It's called Trouble Is 25. I assume that means it's a 25th, yep, 25th anniversary of his record Trouble Is. They just completely remade it fresh. Check that one out. Ringo Starr never stops. He has put out a new EP that's simply titled EP3. It's available digitally now. And CD now, it's going to be available on 10-inch vinyl. And then he's also releasing a limited edition translucent royal blue cassette, which comes out on November 18th. If you have a tape player, I do not own one. But if you have a cassette player, that might be something cool to pick up. That is Ringo Starr's all-star band. The EP is called EP3. All right, got a few more here. I guess taking the week off last week um, got me kind of backed up with new releases. So much great music coming out. There's a new record by the guitarist Julian Lodge that is called View with a Room, which features Dave King on drums. It also features Bill Frizzell on guitar and bassist Jorge Roder. Uh, that's a really should be a really cool listen if you haven't checked it out. And there's also a live performance video streaming. So check out Julian Lodge, his new record, View with the Room, with Dave King on drums. Probably my favorite new release that I've heard um, in the past few weeks, Micaiah McCraven has a record. He's a, I don't know how you describe him in the jazz idiom, but he's he's sort of reinventing jazz through a filter that sounds like it's been remixed, like via hip hop or, or trip hop or something of that sort. So it's jazz with some more production elements which i really crave in that genre it's a really really interesting listen it's called in these times that's by micaiah mccraven highly highly recommend you check that out and then also the death cab death cab for cuties new record asphalt meadows dropped they're currently on tour um, i've been a big fan of that band for a long time this record is my favorite of most recent records of theirs is just really interesting some really interesting decisions on the drum production with panning and different filtering and it's it's pretty fantastic and i know jason's really proud of this one so go check that out that's death cat for cutie asphalt meadows it is out now
the last new record that I've sort of discovered for myself, I often, when I'm walking, I used to take a walk every day and I open up Apple Music and I look at new releases and it just feeds me. It's been feeding me some really great stuff. This one is Credence Clearwater Revival live at the Royal Albert Hall, which was in April of 1970, April 14th, 1970. I had forgotten how much Credence just absolutely rocks, especially live. They just sound super, super tight and powerful. And everything is just, I mean, the drumming is some of the most deliberate and powerful drumming you'll ever hear. That's Doug Clifford on drums. If you want to hear just powerful meat and potatoes, rock and roll drumming, highly recommend this one. It's the Credence Clearwater Revival at the Royal, at Royal Albert Hall, 1970. It's a great, great record. All right, and last but not least, I uh, got a press release that puts a fur with a uh, previous guest and one of my favorite drummers, Gunnar Olsen. They are doing, on holiday weekend, they're having two streamed events. So what is it? what are they calling this? So two concert films, Parole Violator, and then V is for Versatile. So two concert films featuring um, Gunnar Olsen on drums and puts for super fun if you don't know Pussifer, that is Maynard Keenan of the band Tool. It's his kind of art side, art performance side project. Really, really interesting. Gunner's perfect fit for this band. So check those out. Those are coming. I guess tickets are available now. And the screenings are on October 28th. All right, let's shift over to our main topic, snare wires. A few weeks back, I got all of the different snare wires that we offer at Drum Factory Direct, which includes our house house brand, also all the Pure Sound wires and some other manufacturers, and did as as controlled of an experiment as, as I possibly could. So what I did was I had the exact same snare drum, had two identical drums. They were both, it's our, a new shell that we have. It's, so it's a black nickel over steel, like three millimeter steel, real thick, um, with triple flange hoops. And I did a our house brand DHO4, I believe, is the model number, single ply coated batter. Our house brand bottom, same trick throw off. I tuned the drum heads exactly the same, which I believe was C sharp on top, F sharp on the bottom. And I just one by one played the exact same stuff and then would swap the wires off and just compared them all. So it was a lot. So rather than you know do go through all of the models, what I'm going to do this week is just focus on the basic like steel, chrome steel end plates, snappy wires that we offer, and then focus on the 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 different number of wires and what does that actually do. So we're, we have a 12, a 16, a 20, a 25 and a 42 strand wires. Otherwise they're identical. So it's, again, it's the chrome steel end plates. These are like the wires you would get if you just bought a drum from a store, what, you know, the basic model wires. So the only thing different is the actually number of wires. And then what did I did to get the tension set was I tightened them up until I was playing very, very quietly, as lightly as I could. And I tightened the wires up until the, they were completely choked. And all you're hearing was like a Tom kind of sound. And I just would back them off one notch below that choking point. So they're essentially as tight as they should ever be before they start to choke. And then I just play the exact same stuff. So you're going to hear what does the 12 sound like? What does the 16 sound like? What does the 20 sound like? What does the 25 sound like? And then what is the big guy, the 42? So let's start with the 12. This is a 12 strand standard steel wire. If you're interested in the model, 
SW-1412. So again, that's the 12 wire snare wire. Now, what did I notice? Really dry, still, I mean, still hearing a lot of nice snarey sound, but really dry, very little sympathetic buzz or rattle. Um, it reminded me personally of Gavin Harrison, that real kind of controlled, focused, crisp, snappy, punchy. You're hearing some tone from the drum. It's not, you know, not just all white noise. Um, so it's interesting, interesting option. My observation, um, it's it's dry to the point where I think maybe in some rooms it would be too dry, but in this little office or in, in a practice studio or somewhere you want the sound to be really controlled, not a bad option. If you never mess with 12-strand wires, might be something to consider. So let's move up one level. Now we've got the 20-strand. These Again, these are standard steel wires. The model number is SW-1420. No, we're not doing the 20, we're doing the 16. So we're doing the 16 strand. Sorry about that. So it's SW-1416, so one step up from the 12, 16 strand wires. So that is the 16-strand standard steel. That model number is SW-1416. That is my personal favorite choice for most situations. It gives me enough snare response that the drum sounds, you know, nice and responsive and crispy, but not so much snare that I have to feel like I have to over-tighten it or it's sympathetic buzz or, you know, kind of lose some clarity with some of the wider strainers. It's also um, what, you know, it's similar to what you would find on vintage drums, most old Ludwigs and Slingerlands. They came with 16-strand wires rather than the 20-strand wires, which seems to be the standard for today. So let's move up to that now. This is the 20-strand standard steel SW1420 steel snare wires. So that probably sounds pretty familiar to what you have on your drum. To me, I'm starting to now notice the, the the width, the length of the rattle itself being a little bit more prominent, whereas with the 16, I felt like the, the length of the note and the length of the sustain from the wires and the shell, they kind of all you know decayed at the same time. 
maybe with the 12, it might have been a little less snary. Uh, but with the 16, I feel like they were like perfectly kind of enveloped into the same thing. With the 20s, I'm starting to hear the wires kind of extend the length of the note a little bit longer. Whether you like that or not, again, that's kind of the standard. Um, so it just sounds it sounds good. Um, but let's move up. We're going to go up now to what's the next one? 25 strand. So this is SW1425. So I should reiterate that I tightened all the wires in the exact same fashion. So that extra rattle you're hearing is not because the wires are looser. It's because there's just more of them. And it just sounds, I think the further you get away from the center of the drum, maybe, and I'm not sure what the physics is, but something's happening where I'm starting to hear the length of the wires more. Maybe if I was certain situations, I would want that if I'm hitting harder or it's really loud and I, I just want more sound, but, um, I don't necessarily want the wires to rattle that much, knowing how, how tight I actually had them, which was as tight as they could go before they choke. You know, just an observation. You might totally dig it. That's 25 strands. Now we're going to move up to the big, the big, the big daddy. This is the 42 strand SW1442 standard steel snare wires. So I can definitely hear the the clarity of the ghost notes and stuff is kind of getting lost. But what I'm gaining is a really big, full, kind of almost reverb sounding backbeat. That's what the 42 strand. I can see why that's a popular choice for louder, harder hitter situations. I wouldn't go for that for anything super delicate. But there you have it. So that's the first, you know, we're, we're, I'm going to come back to this. We'll do the pure sound stuff and some of the other versions that we have on our house brand stuff, which have different end clips, German style. We have some with phosphor bronze. We have, I believe we have some brass ones, um, and then all of the all the pure sound different varieties. So we'll come back to it and go a little bit more niche. But I thought this would be a good kind of baseline for you to think about. You know, which which of these basic models between 12, 16, 20, 25, and forty two might kind of fit your specific needs a little bit better than maybe what you're currently using. I wouldn't just rely on the 20 strand that we're all accustomed to because that's what's shipped on the drums. If you want a more vintage sound, go for 16. If you want an even more controlled sound, again, Gavison Heron kind of Harrison kind of vibe, go for the 12. If you like that extra width, but you don't want to be too rattly, maybe 25. If you want all the snare sound you can get, the 42. And again, these are all just with standard steel end clips, chromed end clips, um, regular 
snappy wires. So we kind of kept it as controlled as possible. Um, let me know, you know what your favorite of those are. And then next time we'll explore some of the other options. Now it's time for this week's featured artist. I recently got to sit down with Willie Rodriguez. Willie is the drummer on the new Mars Volta record, which just came out. I talked about a few weeks ago, I believe. Um, just came out. Really, really fantastic record. Like they're calling it their quote-unquote pop record. Uh, just really, really interesting choices. Great drumming, great pattern, great songs. Um, so my first question was, how did he end up working with the Mars Volta? Because Willie is a New York City-based jazz, Latin jazz drummer percussionist. Um, he won a Latin Grammy for his work with Mon Laferte on the album Norma. Uh, he does some gigging with Dave Lehman and just a lot of great artists around New York City. So obviously the conversation started with, well, how did you end up with the Mars Volta? And then we go into, you know, how that record was made, how he recorded all of his parts, you know, the gear he used. Really, really fun hang. So let's get to it with Willie Rodriguez. Orcs Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. Sweet. Well, it's nice to meet you. Thanks for coming on. Um, quite a surprise when I saw those. First of all, there's a new Mars Volta record, and then it was like, who the heck's playing drums on it? <laughs> so, I mean, the obvious first question is, how does... A Latin Grammy winning, award winning jazz drummer end up on a Mars Volta record. Oh, first, thank you so much for having me, Mike. Um, well, first, I got the Latin Grammy with him, with Omar. Okay. That's the, the first thing. But um, yeah, um, everything started with me and Omar working with Mola Ferte. Uh, we did this beautiful album in 2018. But. Um, just going back to that, I, I met Omar through Leo Genovese, who's a wonderful piano player, one of the, one of the leading voices in jazz, especially today. Really, really, he worked with Esperanza Spalding, with a lot of people, and just the sweetest guy in the world. And he called me for this session for the singer from Mexico. And long story short, it was Omar's work. And we met the first day in that session and totally... We click right away. He's, he's, he's from Puerto Rico, you know, and of course the island love came up right away. And it was, it was love at first sight, super nice guy and sweetest person. Yeah. And I'm so glad he would be working since, since then, actually. So it's, it's been a blessing for sure. Okay. So what other projects did you do before this? Oh, before this, I used to, well, I'm, I live in New York, so I've, I've been doing a lot of jazz here and, um, Mostly, um, you know, the New York life, surviving mm -hmm. the city, you know, and, and playing a lot of styles from salsa to jazz to wedding gigs, you know, you know how we do here. Uh, yeah. But um, mostly working a lot of, of jazz and contemporary improvisation stuff and, and you know, doing my own stuff. And then I, I moved here from Boston in 2014. So the, 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 those four years was like that, that the pandemic hit. 
and so you know then all this remote situation and you know that we all went through and yeah and now i've been here since 2014 so it's been almost seven to eight years and and you know doing my own stuff with my group and doing my album this year thank god too and and yeah, you know, doing that New York musician life <laughs> that we all Is do. Is it coming back? I I lived up there for like 17 years. We left in the middle of the pandemic. Oh my god! It felt, it felt pretty dire because I was doing a lot of subbing on Broadway. Oh wow! And when that yeah. shut down, it was like, okay, I think it's time to leave. Yeah. <laughs> so how is it recovering? It is, man. It in a way have not been the same anymore, especially for jazz. For jazz, it's been a little. Not different, but but more. I don't know. It's weird. It started now. It's like restaurant gigs, a lot of restaurant gigs doing jazz. Of course, smalls open again, and 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 now Fat Cat is not Fat Cat. It's Cellar Dog. So everything is opening again. But it's pretty pretty much back to normal. But a lot of people left too, and it's kind of like school. Is now school is coming back now officially. Like this semester, I think it's like the first time that kids are gonna come back. You know, and and the vibe is gonna hopefully come back at the same time, you know, as, as me and you, we're older people. So it, it seems like now I go like to smalls. I don't know anyone, you know, it's like, wow, mm. so many new people and all this stuff. But I think it's, 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 it's back to normal and probably not back to New York that me and you used to know, but, uh, but definitely, yeah, definitely a lot of hope, a lot of young faces and definitely the music is still alive and, you know, I don't know how affordable it is for musicians to stay. So let's see how that goes. But um, but so far, yeah, the 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 city is alive. A lot of creativity, like always, and you know, a lot of New York nest. You know, once once say a lot of yeah, crazy yeah. New York experience. Yeah. <laughs> so you moved there from Boston. Why were you in Boston? No, I went to school over there. Yeah, I did the whole okay. Berkeley NEC stuff, and you know, and and. I lived there for 12 years, actually. That's how I met Leo and all those guys there. And I worked there a lot and, you know, and moved here with my wife in 2014. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about, well, how did, how did you get asked to do the Mars Volta record? Was it just because you were working with Omar and it was the obvious choice? I mean, how did that come about? Well, um, yeah, basically, yes. I bet me and Omar, we've been working for, we did the Mon Laferte album and that went great. We won the Grammy everyone was super happy it was a beautiful experience we went to capitol records and it was five days over there and then omar was producing the album and he he like hired bruce bucknick who's like a legendary engineer he he did like the doors tony william lifetime this guy is a legend and then of course he's there and then he invited his friends with suddenly all smith was there who just passed away so sad nicest guy in the world and then uh, we were there just surrounded by amazing people and, and creating this beautiful album with him. And it was, it was such a great experience. And then we did that. And then, you know, he's, he's, he's a, he's a kind of off the grid type of guy, you know, he lived in El Paso by that time. And he, um, you know, I had with him for, for a few weeks and he never carried his phone. His phone is always in the, you know, in the floor or someplace or in, a, or, or in a drawer, you know, he's not like a phone guy. He's a little, you know, little off the grid, like, like people say now. And so, um, he just like called me a week before anything. 
just like, hey, man, I'm here. What are you doing? So let's do it. So we've been doing that back and forward for since 2018. And then after five or four sessions, he just called me one day. He said, hey, man, I want you to do the March Volta album. And I'm like, what? I almost cry. Then he, yeah, and then we went for it. I got COVID at the same time, the same week. It was I'm grateful because he actually waited for me. He like canceled everything and they came back and really, really nice, man. And um, we worked on all this music and he just gave me this little clips, like a minute, minute and 10. And he told me what he wanted. And, and, and he basically said, yeah, we're doing a pop album. And I'm like, this is confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. I'm like, practicing all this crazy pattern because my man's calling me for gigs and then he told me yep <laughs> yeah so don't bring your trash stack at all um so <laughs> um so then of course uh we did it and he's just a musical genius man this type of people who are just super talented super intellectual so hip people you know and i'm just glad to be able to surround myself with that type of creative personalities and how they i feel blessed to be working with them you know it is it was a beautiful experience it was not nothing you know people say you know people talk a lot on, on social media all the stuff and i know now because you know people are hitting me up with the craziest questions but um but yeah it is it is it is it is a different world from from what i not expected from what i heard from people saying you know and really nice people will tell you they're a beautiful family did you, was it recorded in New York or did you go out to LA? No, we did. Um, tomorrow, just, I recorded like 40 tracks for this album, to tell you the truth. Mm. So we did some an electric lady, tomorrow standing. We did some at Bakia recording in New Jersey, New York area. Um, I will say 80% of the album, probably 90, what happens in Jersey. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it was it was a pandemic day, so of course I, I, it, I don't keep the tracks that he sent me. So I'm, I'm kind of like familiar with the sound. So of course he he gave me something really simple, like a beat with a little path and little keyboard on it or something, and and from that we develop. But basically, yeah, man, my man is such a boss because with Mon Laferte, he with it, it was a challenge too because it was just a, a acoustic guitar and a singer. And me and him, we, you know, we basically, he, he, he basically, I created the beat, but he created the structure, you know what I'm saying? So with Marshall Board, that was a little different. He got most of the stuff created. I was just putting ghost notes, accents, hip drum stuff, you know, stuff like that, fills. And yeah, basically that's most of it. But my man, of course, he have his magic and he have a really, really interesting, he's a drummer himself too in his mind. And I bet he can play drums too. And he always sing this killing stuff with his mouth. I was like, man, that's so hip. What are you doing there? <laughs> and he just, he just so creative. It's just people like that. that just like, you know, I want this group, but it's They just sing the craziest hip group in the world. It's like, what? You know, and they just like, you know, it's just, it's that it happens to, to drummers today too. I think where you play other instruments, especially guitar or, or, or piano, your, your creativity span in a way that you, are able to see music in a different angle. Mm -hmm. And I think he comes from that, that he played bass, guitar, drums. He's a filmmaker. He's a, you know, he has so many, 
so many worlds that he can navigate. So that, of course, create refreshing ideas, I think, in, to, 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 the, to the music creativity process. And definitely I felt that from him, yeah. So was it just you and him and an engineer in the studio, or is there other musicians? Well, there? some sessions, yeah. Some sessions, it was me and Electric Lady. It was me, him, and his and, and an engineer that he usually work a lot with. Um, Swedish guy. His name is Jonathan. I think Devon or or yeah, Jonathan Devon. I think his name last name. Really sweet guy. He's been working with them since this is the first album, I think. And um, and that was Electric Lady that we did those sessions, and then for. For the rest, I will say probably the real session for the album, it was Luis Baque, the engineer. Nice guy here in New York that he had a studio, home studio in Jersey, and he he worked with a lot of jazz artists here, and he have a really nice sound, surrounded sound, drum stuff. And, and him, it was me, Omar, Leo, and his siblings. So Marcel and Rico were there too, and Marcel is a bad dude on, on everything to Enrico, to, I mean, these guys, they, they're constantly creating music, man. It's, it's, it was wild. Me hanging with them, I was like, when I'm on Facebook, they were like dealing with something Pro Tools in the iPhones. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, it's just like, they just like extremely working on it the whole time. I never, and Omar too, man. I'm, I'm, I mean, these people put me to sleep, man. It, it was like, they, they don't eat, man. They just like go in the studio working, working constantly, constantly. Don't stop. It's just like, and, 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 and charismatic the whole time. All right, let's do this now. I'm like, dude, it's, it's five in the morning. And, and, and they just like super into it, super creative, super driven. And yeah, really humbling experience to tell you the truth. Yeah. So when you said you were given little, little, little things to check out, what was on most of the demos or how much most of the, of the demos song? it is. So if you hear the album, <clears throat> imagine they give you like a, you know, an eight type of groove, and then I had to like bring the real drum set on it. So <clears throat> nothing with ghost notes, nothing with cymbals, nothing with um, just clap, something simple so you know what, what's the feel, what's the tempo. Some tunes, like the most electronic tunes that you hear there, most of the drums they stay, I would say, but uh, but uh, but but most of it was most of the things were it was weird too because the first time when he gave me the the music it was like two days before and he gave me just the tracks it was a minute long, minute minute ten seconds long with just like a demo of what he wants, but then in the studio Cedric Boyd was on it already, mm. and that was different because like oh my god the whole world changed again. So imagine you're, you're just doing this groove and then you have a, bo- a vocalist. So of course you cannot do that anymore. You have to like mm-hmm. compliment the voice. And so it, that, that was the challenge at the moment. And, 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 and Omar, we, we, Omar was like, yeah, man, this is the first time I do this too. This is like who, who record vocals before anything, you know, it was, it was like, it was like a crazy humbling experience, but man, but, but it worked out really fast. We did it super smoothly. Everything went nice, fast. We did it in like in, one session was like seven hours. The other one was like eight. And, and, and it's, it was supposed to be three days, but the first day I missed it because it was my last day of quarantine from COVID. And then the first day, it was so weird because we all, everyone's avoiding me. Everyone's like in the corner. 
And then I tested and everyone's like hugging me. Oh my bad. I was horrible to you yesterday. Oh my God. And then we were like bonding and kissing and smoking together again. It's like, dude, fuck COVID. Like, and, and, and it was the time that, you know, that it was, it was, it was 2021, you know, it was the real deal right there. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but they, they treated me so well. They gave me a ride home too. That was so sweet. And you know, and nicest people, man. really nice people. So how much of your parts were kind of developed in the studio versus practiced ahead of time? So, sorry, the question again. So what was the user? Part, mm-hmm. Yeah, the parts that you ended up playing on the tracks that we hear, was that written before you started recording or was you, were you exploring ideas in the studio? Exploring ideas and bolts. So basically, you know, like, like Black Light Shine, it was like a electronic conga, and then it claps. And then I brought that for my, my concert that I brought there. So I was outside. So I had to do like a type of like a shuffle vibe. So I told him, let me try this. And you know, the ghost note. So mostly that type of thing. And some of the groups, Omar straight up come to, to me in the drum room. And he was like, all right, I want this. Boom. Boom. And he sang it for me, you know? So it was, mm-hmm. it, it was, I would say some tunes have 80% of my stuff. Some tunes have 20% because Omar give me everything. So it, it, it really depends on the tune to tell you the truth. But, um, but mostly, you know, the cake was done. I just brought the frosting and the colors, you know, my drums, you know, the, 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 the human part of it, mm-hmm. of, of creating feels. I, I, I hope I'm, I'm helping you know, like influencing hits and, you know, stuff like that, because some, some, Omar likes stuff like that. Sometimes he, in, in mistakes, I notice with him, he finds stuff that he like, you know, that I hit like a symbol wrong. Oh man, that's great. And then you hear the song and that's a hit now. So, like, oh man, that's amazing. You know, so he, he's like really that really open type of guy. And, and you know, he, he liked to see, he, he, I went there with a mind of, let me try to be as, as, you know, as, as the stuff that he do before, but he actually wanted the opposite. He wants something that he had not done before. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why I think that, that that was the most shocking thing for me in the session. But at the same time, it, it was just amazing how he worked and, you know, and, and the music, how it developed and, and the result at the end, it was like, wow, man, and the sound great, really good job, man. Really, really amazing decisions. It sounds like you're not hitting very hard, which is opposite from what, the previous records are in order for it to get the drum machines and the acoustic drums to blend. It feels like your mm-hmm. dynamics are pretty low. Is that, is that true? Um, I was depends what you hit, what it was special about Omar. I recorded the Mon Laferte album, the demos with an 18 inch bass drum. Mm. And this album was recorded with an 18 inch bass drum too. No kidding. So what you hear that probably is just the kit, the small, and I get it. Why he like that really condensed? He like an eighteen-inch tune low, so it sounds like, you know, like kind of like mm-hmm. almost like a dry eight oh eight. So he like that, I think that's what he was looking for, and um, so that's probably what you think. No, I, I was. I mean, I to create that dense groove, you have to play hard, in my opinion. You can. Uh, mm. I mean, if you're gonna play something kind of Radiohead vibes, you know, like a little ghost note type of thing. We did it a little bit, but for this, I was I was smacking. Yeah, I was. Okay. I was playing loud for sure. Yeah. Was it one kit on the whole record? Or yeah, just one? one kit in the whole record. Yeah. What was I, it? 
it was uh, for the, it was, to my understanding, I was thinking it was 80% is the, the Canopus. Canopus, are you saying? Yeah, Canopus. Mm. Um, I think the, the nice, the nice, um, how do you call it? Sorry, I'm, I'm not speaking English very well. Um, the the high-end, probably, series. And um, mm-hmm. and an old Gresh that we use at Electric Lady, I'm pretty sure. That was a nice vintage round bash, 20-inch that was happening. But I'm not sure okay. he used stuff from there, but I'm but probably. And, um, yeah, Silgen. I use Silgen. Um, I love Silgen since I was, I'm a kid, so I use a lot of dark case and master sound and custom hi-hats. And then I did a stash with some broken symbols and... um. I can send you a picture in uh, this type of pan thing that I had the, the friend of mine oh, cool. gave me with holes and yeah, that's cool, what we cool. use. Yeah. Did the snare change? <clears throat> I use a Gretsch Bell Brass. Mm, okay. Yeah, the new one that they yeah that I just bought it before the album. I was so happy I was using it for it. Yeah. <clears throat> Super muted. That sounds great. Super muted. We put a um, fabric on the top. You know the whole thing. Now, what about the tuning? The tom sounded really low. The tuning, um, Luis tuned the drums. So he had this tune bot thing. Mm-hmm. And I think he used the Dennis Chamber setup, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's a Dennis Chamber like tuning measurement or something. And while I got there, I, you know, I tweaked it a little bit too, a little lower. But, uh, but yeah, I tape it up. And, you know, and we went for that beefy... I was looking to sound something between 70s Pink Floyd, but with 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 bottom, yeah, with a lot of bottom. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Mm. So you mentioned the vocal. Were the vocals on all the tracks once you got to the studio, or just a few? I would say, yeah, there, there were there were some. Yeah, I would say eighty percent that were on it. Not the whole vocals. I would say okay. hook. Burst start and he caught it, so he let me breathe and be creative. It's a whole creative process, you know. He <clears throat> sometimes he made me like just play free here, whatever you want. And I just like make some noise, you know. And really cool. Really, it was really, it was really fun. We were laughing the whole time. He was hilarious. It was it was a really great really, really time. And and he and and then he wanted me to follow the vocals and some stuff. And yeah, really, really, it was really fun, man. It was it was a really great session. To you. Some of those spots when the fills are like overdubs, did mm-hmm. you did you stop playing and then go back later and do the fill, or did you play a fill and then replace it later? We, I give him multiple fills. Okay. Sometimes he say, "All right, give me this fill here." First, yeah, we, we the lately I've been noticing the way people produce today. What people do that in my experience that I, even when I, if, if you want a track, I record it for you. I always record you the track itself. And then I give you a few versions. I give you my version. I give you your version. And I always do a one take of just me overplaying. So you can cut and use something. Mm-hmm. So with him, we do the same. We did some that were overplaying. We did some that were like just what it is. And we did some takes. Um, and, and, and the one that overplaying, I think, it doesn't mean that we're playing. I just play in the track and then I just do a fill and then keep it attracting going. And I just like playing fills on the top. So in case you want to use them and then the, the, the track keep playing. So like that, you know, so he can cut and, 
and use whatever he wants and what he doesn't want to do. And, and that's just modern stuff. Everyone's been doing that lately, I think, especially in my experience. And I love to do it because the more you get, the better you can work with and the more you can cut and, you know, and do. And definitely, I always recommend people to do it. Were you surprised when you heard the final record or did it all sound familiar? I was not surprised because with Mon Laferte, I was surprised. With Mon Laferte, I was like, man, this guy is a bad dude. How he deal this stuff? But with, <laughs> but with, with this, I knew he was going to do some bad stuff because I'm, I mean, I'm, I knew it. He's, he's such a bad cat. I'm like, and, and, and working with him for, for, for all these years and, and, and stuff that we had done, you know, and, and he can do a record with, with, with a two hour session. These people are really creative. You know, like when we're at Capitol, we were doing a session where we we're having problems with some musicians, you know, LA, you know, they got a little weird. So, and, and I was like, dude, let's, let's, I was like, get the guy out. And he's like, of course, I can feel this album right now if I want it. He told me that. I was like, yeah, so, you know, let's do it, you know. And so they, these people, you know, they're really creative. Some people online, they talk about like, oh, yeah, they, he need this, he need that. No, man, this, this guy is there. They're really excellent producers. They don't, they just really good people. Some people are really good drummers. Some people are really good guitar players or whatever. He's a great producer. My man could do anything for sure. Do you, are you a songwriter as well? Do you compose? Yeah, I'm a composer. I do write my little jazz compositions that I do. I'm mostly into simplest minimalistic improvisation lately and of course and jazz composition. So yeah, I do nothing mainstream in the last ten years since high school, of course. But but yeah, I do my own stuff. I'm actually recording an album now in November, and hopefully coming up in the next year. And we keep you posted nice. about that and all that stuff. Yeah, great. What? How do you compose? You compose with piano or guitar? I compose with piano. I, I use the piano most of the time. I'll be using this app called Notion, so I can write it down in in, in like in an iPad. I use an iPad so it's simple. It's, fast bass lines i always start with bass lines do a bass line there create a melody on the top and then sometimes i, I try to find the chords sometimes i had the chords before most you know mo most of the time is, is it depends lately just melodies and bass lines and from that i just keep that to the musicians and let them be creative so so mm. it just turns to something more open in terms of sometimes when you tell people what to do the whole time it kind of like mess you up uh, in, in in the type of music that I work with, you know, it's, it's mm. it happens a lot, in my opinion. So, the more open, the more space they have, I think, the better the result. That's a good lesson to be learned. I always overwrite, and then there's no space for anything. Yeah. Do, do you write endings and intros, or is that all kind of develop as the band plays? I. It depends. The, the, right now, lately, I just been doing bass lines and melodies. From there. I do a best line and a melody, then I, I, I do another one and a third one, and usually that means intro A, B. Sometimes I just do just an entire composition based on something that has already been done. And lately I've been using just numbers. Like, like I've been actually experimenting with, um, do you know this, this group called Hella? This oh, is yeah. crazy. Like, yeah, the, the, yeah, the, love the, that guy. yeah, the first, the first <laughs> album, you remember that? It's like a total chaos. So oh, yeah. I've been experimenting with putting numbers 
together with a with a with a and you know I like produce click track and and just follow the the, the downbeats with no direction harmonically or rhythmically and you know I've just been tripping with stuff like that and and uh, and I'm I've been, I've been arranging standards lately too and but nothing mostly in the last four years I've been rocking with Omar so that's that's been the the my biggest switch because I usually play a lot of jazz and then we Omar, I have to condition myself to play pocketing and all the stuff. And, and it, it was, of course, it's been a learning experience. I, I, I grew up playing metal and rock and all the stuff in high school. I used to be a big, like Dillinger escape plan, Slipknot, mm. Candiria, mad rock, like strong stuff. And then that bring me to jazz. And, and of course I play Latin music a lot and all the stuff. So, it was not hard to do a transition, but it's mostly um, it's two different worlds: jazz and and and, and backbeat. You know, jazz is painting, and backbeat is like video game creating. You know, it's really, mm-hmm. really sync and really accurate. You know, <clears throat> so yeah. But it's, thank God we're still composing, and I'm, I have to finish some compositions actually for my album coming up. So yeah, wonder how this experience is going to influence your composing from now on. Are you going to try some of this more kind of? Uh, that's my wife. Time. That's what my wife is saying. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, do, do prog rock now. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Let me just, I had three weeks to agree now. Um, well, I just have to be myself, I think, because if not, um, we, when I was working with Omar, I, I started getting a little, ready to you know to do this backbeat accurate stuff and then he came with this opposite of that so i let that go of course but um but mm. definitely that's that my experimental search is stay is still quite vivid in my heart especially in my composition so that definitely is gonna s- stay there do i bring in electric instruments uh let's see but um mm. but the sonic experimentation definitely definitely i'm always on it yeah yeah i'm I'm always looking for jazz records that have more of that creative production side like sonically going for that like that's what i want to hear more of is, yeah you, yeah you know i love the idea of acoustic instruments in a room but sometimes i want to hear a jazz group play stuff that i don't know what the hell they're doing like what are these sounds <laughs> yeah yeah definitely 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 <laughs> i do i do love um the work of like Taishan Sori and there's, there's, there's some new composers like Daniel Sucker who's great and you know and and I like people like um I will say um Gerald Ross and guys like that who are great uh but at the same time I love what Omar do and I love all that indie crowd who are really refreshing too that sometimes I feel they're just jazz hits who just had it with jazz, you know, and just went to another <laughs> right. way. But, um, but yeah, like Mary Holberson is great. She kind of reminds me of Omar a little bit while I hear her, you know, but, but yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it is, um, we keep searching. The search continues for sure. Who are some of your biggest influences as a drummer? Oh man. Just give me three. Uh, Earl B. Jones, for sure. I love Bill Durufor since a kid. 
And I will say Jackie and Ed. Yeah, great people. That's a nice trio right yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, they're all searching. They're all continue searching. Yeah, I, I, but lately I've been really into Rashia Lee too. I do love the, the the new cats too. You know, I love like Michael Germore. I love um, Tyshawn Sorry, Justin Brown. You know, all those guys too. So it's it's um, but at the same time I do love like. You know, like Chris Penny on 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 Dylan Escape Plan, he was amazing. I love Kenneth Schalk from Candiria, he was great. I love um, I love percussionists too. Giovanni Hidalgo is amazing. Horacio Negro Hernandez is amazing. You know, they all influenced me and and local Puerto Rican artists too, like Henry Cole. I grew up listening to him. Mm-hmm. You know, people like that, and you know, it's it's, it's, it's a lot of people, a lot of people. I forgot to ask you this, but do you have any tips for playing live drums over loops or the things that we sh- that you should not do or, or definitely do do? Mm. It depends. I do. I don't like to double up snares live. Mm. I'm actually, sometimes I tell people I'm down to play with a loop, but it was going to be like a, like two snares naturally we're going to flam at one point mm-hmm. it's going to sound sloppy some people they can really do it you know like like spanky mccurdy people who are extremely accurate they can pull it out i do you got to do something because it's, it's more about the sound that you're looking for you're looking for something really precise and and, and electronic sounding i prefer to to use a, a xpdx or something like that you know um something pads triggers and just you know you have to have your timing have to be solid rock you have to have a metronome accuracy but for loops and stuff i don't like but 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 the but it's the same register as your as your instrument it just mm-hmm. sometimes it sound it happens to me a lot when i work with reggaeton artists they want me to play that that reggaeton beat, but they keep the same beat too at the same time. And I'm like, dude, this this, this this sound like a batucada. I mean, do you want me to? You know what I'm saying? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you do you want the accuracy? Or do you want the bottom? I mean, what do you want? You know, and and and, and that's that's the thing. It, it depends what you want to do. But always, I always say this: pl- play with it. You, you, you should be listening to the loop like it's another like like by you like you. You're with him. You're not against him. Like, like you know, like like when you play salsa, you had the conga player, you had the timbale player, you have you had the the, the the main bell, right? So you have to play like like you are one of those instruments. So so basically, you're not against him, but you are with him. So sometimes people they they play a loop and they they're like, let me bury the loop, you know, let me just like. Well, dude, I cannot hear it. This is it. But so, so, sometimes it groove more where you like actually thinking that he's just another musician. So you're just like adding to that in a way. And, and that's, I think, it's, it's the best way to, to play with a loop. You complement the loop. Don't duplicate mm. the loop. I, I, that's, that's what I would say. You complement the loop, but, you know, like bring your your – you know, like people, like stuff that Dave Werkel used to do in the eighties, and 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 Dennis Chambers, that they they were with the loop, but they were bringing colors and they were like flashing the stuff out, and 
And now people, they, they, they're a little confused. Now they're just over drumming of it, you know, but, but those guys that were just complimenting, you know, they were, they were, they were over the bar line, but they were not like over the song. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. so that's, that's one thing that I was, that will always recommend and just try to avoid that register for sure. Don't tune your snare drum the same as the loop. Or if, if they want that, then take them to tell them to take the snare off and use your snare or the opposite. Don't play the snare. And then, you know, because if not, sometimes it's just life today. And it's, it's, it can mess you up mm. sonically in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, was the percussion on the tracks when you recorded? Or was that added later? No, no, that's my boy Daniel Diaz. He's a bad cat from Puerto Rico. He's oof, amazing, one of the best ones right now worldwide. This this guy, you see him, he's like skinny white guy like this, and he can play like Pedrito Martinez, even better, man. It was crazy. There's <laughs> like, a video actually on YouTube, Pedrito Martinez, like he sent him on. Pedrito Martinez, like, oh my god, who who this who this alien? <laughs> he, he even he Pedrito even started cleaning his sweat on his forehead while he's playing. I was like, oh my god, that's, no, no, this guy is amazing. Daniel Diaz is um, he's trying right now. He's on tour with um, we resident. Okay, the actually cool. that band omar did it and um and and, and leo's on it thomas bridgen is on it and and daniel diaz is on it and and great guy wonderful guy if you want to send your videos of him so you check it out it's a wonderful guy yeah well i was gonna say the percussion on the record is is so no that guy is different level front i mean it's it's intense <laughs> no that, that guy he hit the instrument like this it sound like like like, like so loud. It's like, <laughs> it's like what? It's like, oh my god! It's like so natural, so natural. It's impressive. So you didn't hear that until after the record was done? No, actually, no, no. He had electronic percussion, and but I worked with Daniel with Mon Laferte too, and in that album we did some salsa stuff, we did some cumbias, we did some boleros, and and Daniel is super super masterful and all that and he's a he's a he's iconic in, the, in that world he's he's an influencer too you know the whole thing cool well i have a couple more questions one mm-hmm. question i have to ask everybody um it's been a theme of the show what was your first snare drum oh man i was blessed you're not gonna believe me this is crazy my dad is a it's a precautionist from 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 puerto rico and he's um and he's too well known in the seventies and eighties, he was, he, we work a lot. So in the sixties and seventies, he was well known. And then, um, long story short, Alex Acuna studied music in Puerto Rico. People don't know, but he learned, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. drum set and, and Caribbean music in, in, in the conservatory of Puerto Rico. So Alex studied with my dad. So when Alex left Puerto Rico, he left his Gresh drum set. <laughs> no kidding. So he left a round bash that I myself as an idiot pull pushed to a pool for a rock music video <laughs> when I was 14. So imagine my dad, how he felt. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? I was like with my nails all black, you know, I was all metal and stuff. Total idiot. So yeah, it, it was, <laughs> it was a Gresh that I ruined forever. The bass drum like never was the same. Man, it was oh, in the pool. No. <laughs> so yeah. So <laughs> It was a Gresh round bash with a Ludwig. The snare was not great, but it was an old wood Ludwig. It was a basic set, man. It was a 13, 20 by 14, and 16 by 16, probably, actually. White Gresh drum set. Beautiful. I'm, every day I cry about it, to tell you the truth. I was like, oh, mm. what an idiot. What I did. 
Are they still around or did they get thrown away? Man, I hope. I'm um, to tell you too, man, you know, Puerto Rico, is, is, we get affected a lot by storms and stuff. And I think that kid got messed up with, um, with a hurricane in, in probably Maria. And actually right now I try to be in touch with my family because they, the, oh, the storm, storm yeah, that no, the storm hit yesterday. Yeah. Destroyed the whole Island. I haven't been able to talk to them, but I hope it's safe. Man. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Puerto Rico so is the bad place right now. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, only last thing to ask is what else is going on and what should we let people know about coming out? I mean, obviously, we want everyone to listen to this new Mars Volta record and check mm. out things you've done previously. But what's coming up? So you got a new solo record coming out? I got my own solo record coming out in um, next year uh, for the Mars Volta. Follow them. Uh, they, they're going on tour right now. It's this beautiful music. And I'm happy. Hopefully catch with them soon. And um, I have a drum fest now. It was announced for the 21st October in Puerto Rico, but I don't know if it's going to happen because the storm just happened, unfortunately. But um, mm. I was looking forward to that. It's going to have Robbie Amin on and a few. Um, I don't know you know uh, Tony Scapa. He's a great oh, yeah. drummer. Yeah, he's, oh, yeah. He's, he was on Thank it you, too. Yeah. And a lot of people. But let's see now because the storm just destroyed the power grid again there. So mm-hmm. hopefully I can do it. Well, yeah, we, we continue to play here. We're in New York. Um, you oh, feel free to reach out on my Instagram as Willie Timba. We're always doing stuff around town. You want to come in and, and check me out? We're always there. And um, well, yeah, definitely stay tuned. My album's coming out next year, and um, and a lot of beautiful stuff coming up too. Great. Well, thank you so much for hanging, and congratulations on this record and everything else. Thank you, Mike. You've got a new, uh, you've got a new number one fan here. I've been listening to it nonstop all day. So oh thanks. man, thank you. Yeah, it is, it is enchanting. I love it too. Yeah, it's a beautiful album. <laughs> all right, now let's talk about some rudiments. Here's a short little lesson on how I practice working on flam accents that cross over the bar line. One of the first flam rudiments that we often learn is the flam accent, which is traditionally phrased as triplets alternating with a flam on the first note of each triplet. What's a flam? A flam is a low note called a grace note preceding an accent, a high note, a flam. That's a flam with the right, that's a flam with the left. Flam accent, you're playing triplets. Triplet, triplet, triplet. And you put a flam, 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 tap, tap, flam, tap, tap. Again, usually phrases triplets, but you can get some really cool cross rhythms going if you play that not as triplets, but as 16th notes. So for instance, one, two, three, four, one. We're now two, playing 16th three, notes. Four, one, two, three, four, one. That's two, your phrasing. Three, and then put the flam. Four, one, two, three, four. One measure two, of sixteenth notes four, with flam one, accents. Two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one. All right, so that's one measure of that cycling. One E and a two E and a three E and a four E and and back to one. Now, what if you did two bars? One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two. Three, four, one. So you've got that 
and a 1, 1 E and a 2 E and a 3 E and a 4 E and a 1 E and a 2 E and a 3 E and a 4 E and a 1. Now if you do three bars, it cycles around perfectly. 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1. But to play a four bar phrase, you've got to add an extra bar on there, which takes you essentially back to the first measure. Check it out. This will make more sense when you hear it. One, two, three, four. 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 One. Right, so I suggest working on this pattern one bar at a time. So maybe do four bars of just a one measure cycle, four bars of a two measure cycle, and then try to do the whole four bar phrase. Here we go. Flam accents at 60 notes. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, Repeat it. Two, three, four. One, Third time. Two, three, four. One, fourth time. Two, three, four. Two one, measures. Two, three, four. One, two, Three, four, repeat one, it. Two, three, four. One, two, three, four. No, one, four bars. Two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One. You can also start it with the left hand. One, two, three, four. Second one, time. Two, three, four. One, Third. Two, three, four. One, fourth. Two, three. Four, two one, bars. Two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Second one, time. Two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Four bars. Two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One. Hopefully that made sense to you. Again, we're playing flam accents, not phrase as triplets, but as three note groupings of 60th notes. I was at 90 BPM. I would suggest you start at something like 60 BPM, as low as you need to go to really hear the phrasing and to not lose sense of the 4-4 grouping. Just have fun with it. And then when you start messing around with this on the kit, all kinds of creative options open up. See you next time. Hope you got something out of that short little lesson um, and feel free to do whatever you want to do with it. Come with your own variations, your your own adaptations to the drum set. Um, if you want to post something and tag me or the Drum Factory Direct page, we'll definitely reshare it. I'd love to see what these things, you know, kind of where other people can take them besides just the basic idea here on the practice pad. But now let's head over to Hawthorne Drum Shop for a look at some Rogers Power Tone drums. So when I got over to Hawthorne Drum Shop the other day, I noticed they had a brand new Rogers Power Tone kit. So we're going to start with that. This is a new kit. This is the Rogers reissued Power Tone series with the you know, the sparkle lacquer fin two tone sparkle lacquer finish. Let's take a look at it. It's a very old kit. <laughs> Born what year? <laughs> a couple months ago. <laughs> so we're actually doing a new kit today. This is uh, the new Rogers Power Tone outfit. Um, I call it. I don't really know what they call it. I call it like two-tone. Um, this is a lacquer finish, gold and silver, all around. Um, there's a matching snare drum back here. We'll look at that in a bit. But cool sizes, 12 by 20. 
bass drum, 8 by 12, 14 by 14 floor tom. Um, so Rogers, if you don't know, have kind of gone through a reemergence, if you will. Um, I think the first kit they put out was called the Covington series. Remember seeing that? I reviewed that. I did the Red Ripple. Yeah. It was so like that a kit, kit. It was nice. Yeah, they're really nice. Um, they're kind of like on the more the top of like the price spectrum. So these came out and they're, in my opinion, priced really well. So this three-piece kit is I think twenty-three sixty-five. So if you're looking at new drums, it's it's pretty affordable for like what I consider to be a high-end kit. Mm -hmm. So what are the features here that are similar to the old stuff, and what is different? You've got so if you're not familiar with Rogers or the new Rogers, I should say some of this stuff probably looks similar to you. Um, beaver tail lugs look the same as the old ones. Same on the bass drum. They redid the claws, and they look really similar to the Cleveland era claws. They obviously don't have like the handles, the T handles. Um, modern spurs, but they kind of outfitted them with some some fancy little wing nuts here that look nice. Some of the stuff is similar to the older stuff, but not quite the same. They have a Swivomatic style mount on here. Swivomatic was what they called the mount styles in the 60s. Mm -hmm. So in my opinion, that was kind of like the best old hardware. Um, I think Mitch Mitchell might have used Rogers hardware. Bonham did. Bonham, right. Ringo. So a lot of those guys would rely on, you know, the older Swivomatic stuff. So I'm looking for an old example. You got one around here? Yeah, right here. So this is actually an old butcher block tom. I think it's the same size, 8 by 12 but you see the four kind of holes. I think that they might be similar or the same. I actually don't know that. It's a good question is like whether this mount would fit on one of these drums. Mm -hmm. But these are, this is an old collet. I think we might have talked about these in an episode. These aren't great because they were cast at some point and they would crack and kind of a pain. But what they did with the new ones is no collet. So got a wing nut here. Really sturdy, really reliable. Um, oh, I dig that. It looks like it's the same sort of design as this. Yeah. On the top. And they used a hex mount. So that was like a Rogers staple was the hex mount. Do you like that or does it drive you nuts? I like it. I think it's more sturdy than like a, Just a, like a circle. <laughs> right. Like a lot of the Ludwig stuff, they would like kind of knurl, you know, the, the arm. and But after you, gigs and stuff, it would just... It's hard to mess this up, I guess. Yeah, locks in pretty you good. Know, I can be fairly rough on some of my personal stuff. So this is nice. And then there's, you can't see it, but there's some script in there. So I think they, they did a good job with like, kind of making it a, a mix of modern and classic. Mm, um, I'm noticing some with the floor toms. Because on the old stuff, these brackets drive me nuts. Yeah, let me grab this real quick. Should have got this out earlier. Here's <laughs> an old floor tom. And it's got, so you can see that there's, they don't have like the backing, the four, the four hole backing there. Yeah. But. And they also replaced the screws. Yeah. So this, they had like set screws here and now you have a wing nut and then you have a micro adjuster, which is nice because you don't need a key. Yeah. You can kind of, you know, use this to like lo loosen up all the way and then tighten down with this. And it looks kind of classic too. Yeah. So I think that they did a nice job. I dig that. Lugs look the same. They use gaskets. Obviously, they didn't use gaskets back in the olden days, but the hardware is pretty cool. I like it. You know, they, they did use the same lugs. They got the same 
badges, the script badges with the screws back there. Um, what is up with gaskets? Is that simply to prevent, to make the tension rods not splay? Like that's now a thing everyone cares I about? I think that's, I've never asked somebody who makes drums and I don't make drums, um, but I, I would guess so. I don't know why they just don't either make the shells like slightly larger or smaller <laughs> or the hoops holes different. Because I know a lot of people, you know, they'll get at like a, especially like a metal snare and they have the gaskets, they take the gaskets off and they're like, oh, it sounds so different. I've never tried it and I'm not disqualifying what those people say, but. I might have to do that in a future episode. I mean, why not? You'd probably have to put a mic on the freaking lug in order to really hear. I don't know, man. I mean, like you think about it, like that's, that's plastic on a shell as like opposed to metal, metal on metal. I've also had people tell me that, you know, it doesn't, the lug won't leave an impression on the shell. I don't know why that matters, mm. but. Yeah, why would that matter? I don't know. I, I wish people overthink it. You know, now that we're on the subject, I wish I wish gaskets didn't exist. But if you're a drum builder, would like to write in and talk to Mike about why gaskets are used. That could be another nerdy conversation. This is the snare, same finish. This uh, clock face throw up has been uh, been around a long time. Um, I don't know the actual model name, but it does fit the same hole spacing as like a classic Rogers mm -hmm. throw off. So if you need a new one and you don't want to buy like an old one. Um, you can get these from most of, hopefully, your local store. There's the badge. I am not really a fan of this. Um, I don't know if it's a script, but I just think, you know, putting just a regular script badge would have been fine on there. But I think this is a one, two, three, four. I think it's an eight lug. Classic butt plate. Is that seven inch deep? Six and a half. Is it? This looks deeper. Yeah. And they did, I know it's hard for you guys to see, but they did include, like, the tags on the inside like they do back in the old days. Rogers Power Tone. They did include, sorry. <laughs> Buzz. <laughs> There's no serial number, which kind of is a bummer. But Fruitwood Interiors, these are five-ply maple poplar shells with reinforcement rings. That's, for me, I think when I'm looking at new drums and pricing, you know, if you can get a kit that has reinforcement rings on it for that price, it's really good. I mean, a new Ludwig, Ludwig Legacy kit is going to cost you how much? More than that. You know, three-ply with the rings. Yeah. So those rings really help um, with warmth and and all that. So. Oh, we got to talk about that weird oh, yeah, yeah, over there. This is the Thundertone. So this is the Rogers Thundertone. It's a, I think this is a 10 by 14. And it's a, a snom, what the cool kids call it. Snare, Tom, you can, you can throw off. I mean, it's essentially a field drum with legs on it. Yeah. And, you know, they kind of used a stay tight. So in the early 60s, they would, some Rogers drums had a stay tight leg bracket. And that's what they used for this kind of style. Grommet hole. It's got the tone control on here. I don't think these have tone controls. But I'm really glad Rogers is around. I'm glad to be carrying them. And um, I think that they're doing a, a good job with, yeah, it, to, you know, to be honest, I don't think anybody wants to see the exact same thing as we had in the 60s. I think it's nice yeah. to make things... Because they still exist. I yeah. Mean, you've got them here for yeah. sale. So they made some changes, like, you know, these spurs, they don't look too big or too bulky, and they're actually functional. You, know, yeah. you can fold them out and gig and not have to worry about sliding across the stage. I hate those old ones with a passion. Yeah, there's not as much, like, management. You know, when you get up on a stage, you want to be able to set everything up, know that it's reliable, 
yep. and not have to worry about anything falling over. So I think they did a good job with all that stuff. I love that this is a 12 deep. 12 deep bass drums are my favorite. And I think the price point's right where it should be. I'm a weirdo. I would like T-Rods here, 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 here. Because that's where I uh What do you adjust. mean? T-handles. Oh, okay. I would want four T-handles. Because if I have to change anything, it's these four tension rods. Really? On the gig. Yep. How come? Because they're right there. And you can go from like super dead to oh. boomy. Huh. That's an interesting point. But it would look weird. I mean, if you've, you know, OCD. Would Somebody be. made the suggestion of... Because, you know, this came in, like, all kind of in pieces. So, like, you know, put the hoops on. This would look cool with the hoops, like oh, the really silver nice. on the front and the... That would be cool. Yeah. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll try that and see what it looks like. It's a very cool kit. I have to say, I am more of a fan of the Power Tone versus the Dynasonic. I think that's a more versatile, easy-to-use drum than the Dynasonic, from my experience. You know, there's no instruction manual with this, Mike. <laughs> right. You don't have to Here's tune what you the do. wires. Ready? <laughs> Off. On. Tighter. <laughs> looser. I'm making a lot of people upset right now. I know that. <laughs> hey, I have both, and I, I go to the power tone way more often just because I know it's going to be easy to work with. That's yep. just my opinion, but I love this kit. I'll have to play it a little bit later. So that's it. This is the brand new Rogers power tone. What are they calling this outfit, or is it just... Power tone, yeah. These are limited. Power. I don't know how many they made, but I know that they're limited. So if it's something you like, jump on it now. Dope. Sweet. That's it. It's a pretty sweet kit. Um, if you dig it, make sure you pick one up because I'm sure when these are gone, they probably won't come back again. I know Chris has one, so go to his website if you want to check out that kit. Also, uh, I believe at Drum Factory Direct, we still have in stock all of the new reissued Rogers replacement parts and hardware. So if you need like a new throw off or hoops or various other parts, make sure you check out our website. We probably have them because I believe they are all... Uh, designed to be interchangeable with the old vintage stuff as well. So make sure you check out drumfactordirect.com for your Rogers replacement parts. All right, now let's get over to some of your listener questions. All right, I've got a big stack of questions here. We're just going to do a few of them, and then I'll just keep rattling through the rest of them in the next few episodes. But the first one here is from Bo Dan, B-O-H dot Dan. This came through Instagram. Does the inner shell angle matter if it's 30 to 45 degrees when it doesn't touch the head? No, it doesn't matter. I think I had this conversation with Chris Carr a while ago. And, I mean, you're just talking about air, so no, that angle doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the point where the drum head actually contacts the shell. How wide is that apex? Is it sharp? Is it rounded? Where does it hit on the drum head? Is it out towards the collar? Is it a little bit further in? See, I think all that inner angle stuff... I don't think you really need to worry about it. You just don't want a super shallow angle to where the drum head might actually vibrate. You know, when you hit the drum, it might actually come down and hit the inside of that angle and vibrate a bit. Eric Hargrove, you sent this one in. He's a previous podcast guest. Thanks, Eric, for sending this in. Is there a difference in tuning for the room versus tuning for the microphones? What a great, great question. Um, in hundred percent, right? Um, Often, almost every room I play in, and I'm sure that's the case for all of you listening, like your drums just sound really different almost every single time. So I'm usually either tuning up or tuning down, just depending on what the room is giving me. Bass drum front head gets changed a lot if I feel like it's too boomy or not boomy enough. Snare drum is always the one that gets, you know, some days it just sounds super thin, even though I haven't changed it from the previous gig where it sounded like super thick and, and punchy. Um, so yeah, I'm always tuning for the room for gigs, but then in the studio, 
I always have my inners in and I'm it, when I first thing I do is I solo the mic on the, whatever drum it is and I'm tuning the drum for the mic. So if I'm hearing some weirdness, I'll spend some time kind of tweaking lugs or maybe dampening a little bit more. Um, yeah. So what the drums sound like in the room for me in the studio is irrelevant because the only thing I care about is what does it sound like when I play it back to the speakers, two totally different universes. Um, but yeah, great question. I will do one more here. This one comes, came in from Dylan Scott Mandel. What is your favorite literature or resource for improving the jazz ride feel? Since you're talking about the feel, the only resource, in my opinion, and I think a lot of my colleagues would, would agree, if you're talking about improving your jazz ride feel, the only resource is to play along to records and to try to match what you're hearing on the record with what you're hearing coming out of the end of your stick. There's no, there's no better way to learn, you know, whatever. Now, who do you choose is depend like what, what jazz music do you, do you like listening to? What drummers kind of get you excited? Is it the really kind of precise, even sound of Philly Joe Jones? Is it the more kind of rounded egg shaped feel of Elvin Jones? Is it the more kind of driving backbeat oriented feel of Art Blakey? You, know, you just have to discover the records that get you excited, find, you know, pick those and then play along with them and don't stop until you, you can't tell the difference between what you're playing versus what you're hearing in your headphones. Mess with your touch. Are you choking up? Are you on the back end of the stick? Where are you hitting the symbol? Try different symbols, different sticks, you know, the spacing of the skip note, you know, is there an accent on two and four or is an accent on the end of two and four? Is it sixteenths? Is it triplets? Is it somewhere in between? That's that's the only way. Um, so yeah, just put on some headphones and jam to your favorite records. Don't jam to your favorite records. Try to replicate what you're hearing on your favorite records. Two very different things. All right, I'll get to some more of these questions here in the next few episodes. But for now, it is time to get over to our warehouse pick of the week. Before we do that, though, I should remind you that if you have a question you would like to have answered on the show, just feel free to shoot it over. You can DM the Drum Factory Direct Instagram page. You can DM me, Mike Dawson Drums, or you can always email drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. All right, this week's warehouse pick of the week, we have a whole box of these ankle bells, which are traditionally worn on your ankles and they're used for dancing. But they're also really fun to mess around on the drums. We have three models that I'm featuring here. We have 25 bells on a string. We have 50 bells on a string. And then we have 100 bells, not on a string, but like a wire. So a little bit firmer kind of circular item. So in each one of these comes with a pair. So 25 bells on a string, you get two, two sets of these. So you can combine them for 50. And then with the 50 on a string, you get two sets. You can combine them for 100. The 100 on a string, you just get the one set. So what I've got here are some demos of me messing around with these. So we're going to start with the 25 ankle bells on a string. I start by just playing it with my hand, then I put it on the hi-hat, then I put both pairs on the hi-hat, and then I start, I put on the cymbal, and then on the different drums. Lots of really cool sounds. So here is the 25 on a string ankle bell. This sells for $19.92 on our website. Check it out.
All right, now here is what the 50 ankle bells on a string sounds like. Various applications either played separately or combined to give you 100 bells. These sell for 49.52. Here is the 50 on a string ankle bells. Here is the 100 ankle bells that come on a wire frame. This sells for $75.12. Last but not least, I want to have a little bit of fun with this and just try putting all of the bells on different instruments to see what it inspired. So I've got, I believe I've got the the 100 on the hi-hat, the 50 on the floor tom and snare, and then the 25 on the rack tom, and then the 18-inch crash ride. So it's an interesting sound. A lot of the snare is really cool, pretty kind of white noise. It sounds like it's like you got distortion on the drums. So if you're looking for like a special effect that sounds like distortion without having to rely on effects processing, this might be the move. So here's my little little solo with all the different ankle bells all around the kit.
right, that is this week's warehouse pick of the week. If you want to find these on Drum Factory Direct, you can just search for ankle bells. There's also a segment under percussion where you'll find it. But yeah, you can just search for ankle bells. They're all in stock. Um, so grab them, have some fun with it. It really inspired me to explore some sounds like that little thing I settled on the end. I think I'm going to mess with that as like a solo piece. It's not something I ever would have played with wide open drum sounds. So really inspiring. Check them out. Ankle bells. That is it for this week's episode. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating. Drop a written review over on iTunes or Spotify or whatever podcast platform you get. Make sure if you're not watching this in video form, you head over to our YouTube channel and like and subscribe there. And drop some comments into that. And yeah, we love to hear from you. You always can reach us at Drum Factory Direct uh, Instagram page or you can email drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. That's it. And we're going to let Patrick send us off. So have a good one. We'll see you next week.